You are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers. I've got a great guest today, David Lombardi, 49ers beat writer for The Athletic. We're going to get into what's going on with the 49ers. Uh, How good is Jimmy G? Is he getting a raw deal in all of this? Free agency, salary cap, some big decisions to be made there, and what this team could look like in 2021. At BD Peacock on Twitter is where you can find me. You can hear my other podcast, Peacock and Williamson Pod, with the fresh mock draft the entire first round, including what the 49ers are doing today. Wednesday's episode of Peacock and Williamson. Check that out and subscribe everywhere you can find podcasts. And now let's bring on today's guest. David Lombardi from The Athletic. They do a fantastic job over there covering the 49ers. You can also hear David with Matt Barrows on the Here's the Catch podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Lombardi himself. David, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining the show again. Yeah, I'm glad to be back on. It seems like it's been 10 years, but it's only been, <laughs> what, 10 months? Uh, yeah, yeah. 10 some, months and 10 years, it's all the same these days. At some point, I think right after the draft or maybe before the draft. Uh, or no, you know what? We were talking a lot about Brady and Garoppolo, and here we are a year later. Now it's talking about Garoppolo and name your quarterback, right? That's that's where we are again. And it was it seemed like the obvious decision last year. Coming off a of Super Bowl, you stick with Garoppolo. It seems less obvious this year. Where do you land on that now with Jimmy G? And, and do you think with how hard the 49ers seemingly are looking at other quarterbacks, should they make the determination on Garoppolo first before they find a quarterback? Well, look, I think that, Garoppolo, from a skill perspective, nothing in my mind has changed. The, the thing that's changed, and it's because we've gotten another data point with another injury, is that now you really do have to start worrying about the durability. And I, I think even Jimmy will tell you that it, it, when you've missed as much time as he has, and it's essentially been 50% of the possible starts for the 49ers that he's missed with one injury or the other, those questions are going to pop up. So, one thing that Tom Brady absolutely does have going for him, and he's got a lot going for him. I'm not going to say that there is a short list, but the reason Tom Brady has been able to do what he's done for so long is because he has been remarkably durable, even into what he's like 43 or something now, and he's still um, staying upright, still staying in these games. That being said, that Brady question, especially from the 49ers' perspective last year, uh, you have to envision what would have Tom Brady done behind the 49ers offensive line this season. I mean, the, the Bucks got Tristan Wirfs at right tackle. They solidified that. They had Jensen at center. They, I thought they were strong on the interior. And, I mean, you saw it in the Super Bowl. They kept Tom Brady very clean in the pocket. And Tom Brady has some of the most consistent mechanics in NFL history. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a guy. It's like He's, he's like a, a, a very refined pitcher who's going to be delivering from the exact same footwork, the exact same wind-up, whenever he's in a clean pocket. And because of that, he is consistently accurate. And we'll talk a little bit more about Jimmy Garoppolo. That's something that he needs to improve. But when you keep Tom Brady clean, Tom Brady is going to pick you apart. I have serious reservations, serious questions about the 49ers' potential ability to have kept Tom Brady clean this season, given the fact that they're on their fourth-string center, uh, given the fact that right guard was an absolute seed because of the center issues, uh, and given the fact that uh, Mike McGlinchey struggled in pass protection, probably 
um, fueled by the struggles at, at right guard and center. So uh, Tom Brady was in a much better situation in Tampa Bay than he would have been with the 49ers. Uh, I, I'm, I'll stick with that. I, I thought that, um, you know, the, the, the Bucks really fielded a complete team this year. And Tom Brady at age 43 needs that complete team around him because nobody is, you know, going to be able to be Superman at age 43 and carry a team on his back all by himself. Even Patrick Mahomes couldn't do that with the Chiefs when the supporting cast was a bit lacking. So that, that, that's my view on the whole Brady situation. I thought he put together an impressive year, but uh, I'm a big proponent of putting together a balanced team. And I thought Tampa Bay did the best job in the NFL of that this season. And it's something the 49ers, to, to be honest, didn't do a great job of because they didn't address some of those offensive line issues. And, you know, some of it might have been out of, you know, bad luck, you know, Weston Richburg not being able to come back, all this and all that. But uh, the 49ers are going to have to sit down this offseason and make some hard decisions because uh, they were very balanced in 2019 and they were not as balanced in 2020. And a, a lot of things went south alongside those injury issues as a result. One of the things that Tom Brady is great at, and it's you know, most of the all-time greats are good at this, is not getting hit and getting the ball out quickly and knowing where their checkdowns are and feeling pressure and stepping up in the pocket and some of the nuances of playing quarterback in the NFL. And I've seen a lot of arguments with 49ers fans this offseason. Is it the offensive line? Is it the quarterbacks that need to play better and protect themselves? I tend to think it's somewhat of a 50-50 proposition that half the sacks are, uh, are sacks are you know half on the quarterback and half on the offensive line. Where do you stand in that regard? Well, it's a case-by-case thing, absolutely. Um, you know, you'll have some people 100% blame the offensive line. Uh, it, you know, it just depends on who a- any particular person's favorite quarterback is usually. If they really like the quarterback, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're more likely to be biased toward the offensive line. If they don't like the quarterback, then it's, it's the quarterback's fault. And I, mean, I think that's a huge problem in the discourse surrounding the 49ers right now. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo might be the most polarizing player in the National Football League. I mean, people either love this guy or they hate this guy. There's seems to be no in between whenever I go and, and check on Twitter. And I'm like, Hey guys, it's possible to say that, that Jimmy Garoppolo is a quarterback with fewer than 1000 career pass attempts, which is not a lot who does a lot of things. Well, especially in the context of what the 49ers have built around him, but obviously still has considerable flaws. So he's not the very top. He's not at the very bottom. He's good. They went to the Super Bowl with him, but th- there's some stuff that he needs to work on. And I think that, you know, what you just mentioned is one of the things that uh, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo can get better at is avoiding some of those sacks, avoiding some of that pressure. I think that at times, because of the inconsistency that we've seen, and this might be a result of the fact that he hasn't played all that much, uh, he's really good at eluding pressure. And he doesn't elude it the way that Russell Wilson does. He eludes it with his release, with different arm angles. Uh, you know, he, I do think that at times he's good at suddenly stepping up and moving around in the pocket, but at, at other times, uh, he, he struggles. So there's a certain level of inconsistency that you see from Jimmy Garoppolo that you don't see from a guy like Tom Brady. But when you look at all the quarterback options, quote unquote options, because they're not, you know, Deshaun Watson is not technically on the training block right now. But, but even Deshaun Watson, when you watch the film, this is a guy who runs into sacks because he's a running quarterback, right? He has that ability. He leaves the pocket a little prematurely sometimes. And the Texan sack numbers are through the roof. Now, a lot of people who love Deshaun Watson will go out and say, oh, uh, that's the offensive line's fault. The Texans have done a terrible job assembling a team around him. Whereas that's true, it's not a black and white issue. It's not all on one side. Deshaun Watson also does run into his share of sacks. And I thought that's where Deshaun Watson was really impressive this past season. There was a 
eight game stretch or so where he was great, great, great from the pocket where he, he hung in there and he delivered within a structure of the Texans offense. I thought that was the best football that Deshaun Watson has played so far in his career. So for every quarterback, whether it be Garoppolo, whether it be Brady, whether it be Deshaun Watson, there is that balance with the offensive line where you need the pass protection, but it's also not always the pass protection's fault. You need both. And in the case of the 49ers, they had too little of that pass protection over the past two seasons, especially after Weston Richburg got hurt in 2019. Yeah, it's very Russell Wilson-like with with Deshaun Watson, the way he can make big plays with his legs, but sometimes uh, could be maddening probably for an offensive line or, or coach because the quarterback's not where he's supposed to be, which is in the pocket every single time. So, um, yeah, and there, there's just so much that goes into it and so much new nuance on a play-by-play basis when it comes to offensive line, quarterback, who's at fault and what's going on there. And obviously you want to be good everywhere as a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were, which is why they hoisted the Lombardi. And I love what you said about 49ers fans. Is you're either a, a Jimmy Garoppolo hater or a Jimmy Garoppolo apologist and a lover, it seems like. That that has to be the way it is. You can't just have a fair take when it comes to who Jimmy Garoppolo is as a quarterback. A couple of your latest at The Athletic, the salary cap. More with David Lombardi. So much to play out over the course of the 2021 offseason, and even though the game's are over. You can still bet on most of what's happening at betonline.ag. We're talking mock draft today. You can bet on who the first pick, the second pick, the third pick, the first wide receiver will be in the 2021 NFL draft. Where will Deshaun Watson get traded? Where will JJ Watt end up? Who will win the Super Bowl in 2022? No end to things you can have some fun with and make a little money at Bet Online. And by the way, get a Welcome bonus. Bet online even covers awards and uh, TV shows, reality TV, whatever. You can find a line for it at Bet Online. Real time updated odds and props on just about anything you can imagine. Go to betonline.ag right now. Use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Promo code locked on to get that 50% welcome bonus. Bonus bet online, your online sportsbook experts. One more quick question is I do want to talk about free agency and some of the, the, the draft and the, the 49ers big decisions looming this offseason. But when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo, have you had a chance to talk to Jimmy? Do you get a feel about how he feels about uh, every time a quarterback is mentioned that is available? The 49ers seem to be checking in. Well, I think that Jimmy knows the reality of the situation, and that's if you're not available. Uh, the team has to look for, you know, other potential options. I, I think it's the case at every single position, every single year in the NFL. As Aaron, a day or two after the Packers were eliminated in the playoffs, there are no absolutes in the NFL. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers probably is one of the few absolutes after the year that he put together behind great pass protection, by the way, which I think, you know, given the Shanahan scheme, since LaFleur is running something really similar, the 49ers should look at that. If Green Bay um, is pass protecting as well as they are, and they saw that the results that they did this year, that's obviously something the 49ers should, should try to emulate. But that point aside, uh, it's it, whenever you come off a what six and 10 year where you're not available for, for most of the season as Jimmy Garoppolo was, it, it's obviously going to be part of the business where the team is going to be looking to see what can we do to, you know, maximize efficiency of the quarterback room and to compound that situation 
The 49ers also, when this offseason started, didn't have any backup quarterbacks on the contract. It was only Garoppolo. So, you know, they had to uh, sign Josh Johnson. They signed Josh Rosen. Uh, I don't think either of those two are safe QB2 options at this point. So that leaves at least one more spot open in the quarterback room to do some more maneuvering. And uh, Kyle Shanahan's going to look at the position group holistically. And if he can find a way, especially during a cap crunch, to put a quarterback that is almost as good or better or just as good as Garoppolo but save a few million dollars, that's a big deal. That's why the 49ers asked around about a guy like Matt Stafford. That's why, you know, they at least poked their head in the door when Sam Darnold was was brought up. I'm not saying Sam Darnold is is the same level as these guys. I I think Sam Darnold's at the bottom of the league. I'm not impressed with him at all, although he has some physical tools. But either way, since he only cost $5 million this year, the 49ers had to peek their head in the door to see what was going on. I don't think they're going to be in on that. But all these options, just from the, the point of view of being competent front office, you have to check on them because you have to know what the trade market is. You have to know what the, the latest scuttlebutt is surrounding these things. So I, I don't think that it's surprising at all that the 49ers have been at least slightly involved in these things and probably will be more involved if Deshaun Watson uh, does actually become available. And I think that Jimmy Garoppolo understands that that's the nature of the business, especially after you're coming off a season that was so severely compromised by injury. I think it's a good point about the 49ers front office doing their job and checking in and just knowing the market on quarterbacks. If they do want to make a move, know what other teams are asking for their guys, knowing what the right uh, player is, the right price is. I think that's really important and probably an overlooked aspect in all of this because it's just so much fun to talk about, oh, this team called this team when you hear a report and that means they really love that guy. It might not be the case at all. They might not want to have anything to do with a quarterback that they called about and checked in on, but they want to know the cost because that's a smart front office and a smart GM doing his job. From the overall perspective, it's huge. We've, I think we've seen the quarterback market evolve here over the past few weeks. When you look to see how much Carson Wentz potentially will command in a trade, and Wentz was terrible this past year. I mean, one of the worst seasons in document, recent documented history from a quarterback when you look at the efficiency numbers. So there's a very, very strong possibility that Carson Wentz is broken, yet he still might fetch a first-round pick if that conditional pick uh, – works out for uh, for the for the Eagles. So we've seen the market really evolve and that affects the 49ers because when you're looking at holistic roster building and holistic roster construction, the New England Patriots are probably interested in Jimmy Garoppolo. I think a few weeks ago because of Garoppolo's health situation and you know the fact that 49ers didn't have that much leverage because if they signed somebody else or got somebody else they would just have to cut him. I don't think that the Garoppolo trade market was too crazy, but I think the Garoppolo potential Garoppolo trade price might be rising. So it's just due diligence for the 49ers to peek their head in the door in all these trade conversations because they need to know how much their own guy is worth. That's As Aaron Rodgers said, there are no absolutes. You have to know what everybody's worth at all times so that you can create the most balanced roster possible, just like Tampa Bay did this past season to win the Super Bowl. They, they were balanced up front on both sides. They drafted the right rookies in the defensive backfield. And obviously Tom Brady came in and was the glue to put everything together. And if you're going to do that, you've got to be very in the know as to what's happening at all times in the league. 
It's a great point. The price for someone like Deshaun Watson might have gone up versus what we thought he might go for a month ago, but that same could be said for Jimmy G. So that's just going to be a fascinating storyline that's definitely not going away when it comes to the 49ers in the 2021 offseason until they do something or uh, we're playing football in September and they haven't done anything at the quarterback position. David, I want to talk about some of your latest from The Athletic and particularly as it pertains to D Ford and the 49ers salary cap. And you guys have to go check out this article that goes super in-depth about the salary cap situation and the contract for D Ford and when and if and how the 49ers can get out of that and even if they will want to get out of that this offseason. Um, so there, there's pre-June 1st options to cut D Ford. There is a post-June 1st option to cut D Ford. And the third option that, that I didn't really even think about this offseason was that maybe even if D Ford doesn't play, the 49ers might benefit most from still having him on the roster and doing something else with his contract. Can you explain that third option that really uh, factors in if that $11.6 million injury guarantee is activated for D Ford's contract? Because if the injury guarantee is not activated and he can pass a physical, which I don't know what level he has to even pass as far as physicals go, if he can pass a physical, the 49ers can cut him this offseason. But if not, can you take us through that third option where D Ford is still on the roster but doesn't even actually play for the 49ers? Well, and there's another caveat to the physical thing. He has to pass it before April 1st because he's got $11.6 million of his base salary in 2021 becomes fully guaranteed on April 1st, no matter what. So the 49ers are stuck with that money no matter what on April 1st. Now, the problem is before April 1st, that $11.6 million is injury guaranteed. So that's where the physical comes in. If Ford cannot pass a physical before April 1st, the 49ers can cut him, but they, they'd still owe him that $11.6 million. So the only way that you don't owe him the 11.6 is if he passes it before April 1st. So say he passes it on March 17th, and then in that two-week window, you'd be able to cut him and not be on the hook for that $11.6 million. That, based on what we've heard, what I've heard, seems unlikely. So it, it, it's looking like the 49ers are somehow, some way going to be in charge of or responsible for $11.6 million to, to D Ford. That leaves you with a few options. One would be, you know, the miracle situation for the 49ers in that case would be, okay, maybe D Ford can somehow get healthy and deliver in the 2021 season. At that point, you know, all of this is sort of water, water under the bridge. And if D Ford is healthy and he produces the way that he did from weeks one through 11 and, the 2019 season, then he's obviously worth that kind of money. We, we, we saw his value when actually he was roaring at full speed off the edge opposite of Nick Bosa. But that doesn't seem like, you know, the most probable course of action right now. The other courses of action would be to somehow figure out a way to take that $20 million cap hit, which is second to only Jimmy Garoppolo's on the team, and, and find a way to, to lessen the blow this season, which is something the 49ers absolutely have to do if they want to be financially viable because they're so close to the cap. And a post-June, uh, a pre-June first cut just doesn't work for the 49ers because of that $11.6 million guarantee and the fact that if you cut D Ford, all of the signing bonus money that has not yet hit the salary cap would hit it all at once. It would actually be more expensive to cut D Ford pre-June first than it would be to keep him. Now, if you do a post-June first, that means that the, the salary cap hit is spread out over this season 
and next season. In that case, you would save a couple million of 2021 room, but it would still be massively inefficient. It would still be something like $16 million in dead money. And at that point, is it even worth it? Because the post-June 1st, that means you can't even use the money that you free up for free agency because it doesn't free up until June 1st. So what I propose is a restructure for D Ford. And the restructure would involve keeping him on the roster, even if he's on IR. And what you do is you take his base salary, which is guaranteed for that injury, and it's about to become fully guaranteed, and you convert it to a signing bonus, because you're going to owe it to D Ford anyway. So, I, you know, just you have to swallow that bill and give him that money in a signing bonus. And what happens is that that money then will spread out over the salary cap over several years, right? And then if you keep him on the roster this year, even on IR, it won't all hit the cap at once. So keeping him on the roster is a way to save your salary cap space now. Will you have to deal with some stuff later? Yes, absolutely. But we're in an exceptional year. This is a salary cap crunch. And I think that 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 might be the way the 49ers have to go if D Ford can't pass his physical. Coming up, the looming salary cap situation for the 49ers and in the NFL, and of course how that affects free agency and what this team could look like in 2021. Some big-time arguments going on in the private DMs for the Locked On Podcast Network hosts about which Built Bar flavor is best. And right now, it's yeah, we might have to make a March Madness bracket for this thing. Uh, it's looking like the one seeds might be the, the brand new flavors that everyone's really jacked up about. Peanut Butter Crispy and Coconut Brownie. Other new flavors being released at Built Bar, including all of their old flavors and all of them high in protein, but low in sugar. No sacrifice in taste. Coconut Puff Bar, luscious chocolate, soft marshmallow, premium collagen protein blend, 16 grams of protein in the Coconut Puff Bar, only 130 calories and only 6 grams of sugar. Gluten-free, preservative-free, Go to BuiltBar.com for 20% off your next order with promo code LOCKEDON. Again, promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com for 20% off your next box of Built Bars. Whichever option they use and whichever door they pick when it comes to D. Ford and his contract, there's Weston Richburg, there's a number of other things they can do, maybe restructures, uh, maybe cutting some players that we don't expect. Do you think there's any uh, workings that maybe we're not talking about a lot that the 49ers could utilize to get under the cap? Do you think the salary cap is going to be that much of a restraint for the 49ers to do what they need to do this offseason? Well, it depends where it ends up. If it's at the minimum of $180 million, I think that's going to compromise their ability to re-sign guys like Kyle Juszczyk and Kwan Williams. If you get it up to $185 million, I think you could start really – being optimistic about their ability to, to sign Juszczyk and and K1 and 190 million, I think they'd be able to fit everybody in and uh, not comfortably, but I think uh, that would really open the door for a lot. I don't know where it's going to be. The floor is 180 million. So every million matters. I just came out with my 10 step off season plan on, on Wednesday morning. And number one was to restructure Lake and Tomlinson's deal through an extension. I mean, he's been, uh, your most durable player, if you're John Lynch and, and Kyle Shanahan. He just turned 29 years old. Uh, I think he played 1,090 out of 1,092 possible snaps this past season. And the two that he missed were because he lost a shoe and it took him two snaps to get the shoe back on. So uh, <laughs> you, what you want to do is you want to find players 
who will not become dead money in the future. You want to find money that's already on the roster, give it a contract extension, convert the money to signing bonus, and then you won't pay negatively for it in the future if that guy will stay healthy and stay productive. And I think it's hard to find players like that on the 49ers roster because everybody in team got hurt this past year. But Lake and Tomlinson, I think, is a no-brainer. They could save something like $4 million with Lake and Tomlinson, right? They could save $4.5 million if they cut Weston Richburg or if he retires. And, and I expect one of those two things to happen. Um, so that's, that's more money that, that you open up. And every one of these transactions is potentially the difference between uh, being able to re-sign a player like K1 Williams or Kyle Juszczyk and not being able to re-sign that player. Um, I can tell you another one, Mark Nazacha. That's something like $1.5 million. So it would only save you probably about 700000 because you'd have to have somebody on a, on a rookie deal or something to take his place. But we're talking about really thin margins here. And we were talking about really thin margins last season. The 49ers had so many injuries. They were down to a couple hundred dollars of salary cap space. That's why they had to start doing all these crazy moves. I mean, they couldn't even afford to, to trade Dante Pettis. Um, <laughs> or cut Dante Pettis. Wow. Nobody wanted to trade for him anyway, but they couldn't yeah. afford to cut him at a certain point because of the dead money that would hit the caps. So they had to open up space just to cut Dante Pettis. So that, that's what you're dealing with now. You just have to play financial gymnastics to open up space to do business. That's wild. When you put it that way, there's probably not much opportunity for the 49ers to add an outside free agent, but the one player that just makes overwhelming sense for the 49ers is former Falcons center, former Browns center has played under Kyle Shanahan. He made a point to bring in Alex Mack when he was with the Falcons. Can the 49ers fit Alex Mack in under the budget? Because it just seems too perfect. Well, yeah, he's he's lost the step. So let's, let's establish that. But that's good and bad news for the 49ers. A, I think everybody knows that you're not going to be getting all pro center Alex Mack, who was on the NFL's all-decade team. He's played for Shanahan at two different stops and 2014 with Cleveland and 2016 with the Falcons. Uh, but the fact that you're not going to be getting that Alex Mack, because this, the fact that that's not happening means that you're probably going to be able to get him for a lot cheaper than the best center in the game now is Corey Lindsley, who will also be a free agent from the Packers. So it, it then becomes a matter of priorities. If Kyle Shanahan determines that he absolutely needs the game's best center to do what he wants to do on offense, which is something that Kyle Shanahan, by the way, has determined twice before in his career. He really wanted Alex Mack with Atlanta, and he was the best center of the game at the time. And if you talk to um, anybody surrounding the 49ers who's in the know about the offensive line working, Shanahan included, they thought that Weston Richburg was the best center in the game for what they were trying to do offensively. And the reason I say that, and the reason the 49ers say that, is because they need somebody who can both execute these very difficult athletic run blocks, you know, get out in space and and you know, chip guys and, and do all this and all that. And Richburg, he was a former track guy in, in middle school and high school. I mean, they have these offensive linemen with track backgrounds, and, and they felt that he was the one available center in the league who could execute those difficult run blocks, but he was also a top three pass protector for the Giants. And they need both. And it's hard. It's guys that can do both are unicorns. Guys that can do both and, and stay healthy, I guess, when we saw with uh, Richmond's case, they're even more rare. So uh, as the 49ers are, are looking for this, this prototype, you have to wonder, does Kyle Shanahan think that he needs a guy in his prime? 
Because if he does think that, they might, you know, skimp elsewhere and go all out and try to get Corey Lindsley from Green Bay. I don't think that they're going to be that aggressive, but I wouldn't rule it out. And the cheaper option would be a player like Alex Mack, who, um, you know, went to college at Cal, so it'd be a homecoming for him. It, it could be one of those situations where you can maybe find a little efficiency toward the end of the career from somebody, and it would be a big improvement over what the 49ers had last year. And let me tell you, 49ers rode a similar formula to the Super Bowl back in 1994. They had real struggles along the offensive line against Dallas in two straight seasons. So what they did is they went out and they signed one of Steve Young's best friends from college. His name was Bart Oates. He was a 36-year-old center. Mac is going to be 36 <laughs> this year. And Oates played two years for him. And, you know, everybody talks about Deion Sanders and Ken Norton and and, and all those additions, but I'll tell you what, getting Bart Oates in the middle of that line and move Jesse Sampolo over to right guard, that was one of the keys for the 49ers to really unleash that supercharged offense and win the Super Bowl in 94. Bart Oates, that is such a great pull. That's why we bring someone like David Lombardi onto the podcast to drop a Bart Oates on you guys. I love that. It's fantastic. And I think the 49ers, whether they bring Alex Mack in or not, are probably going to be scouting centers heavily in the draft. Maybe not a first-round need, but uh, they'll be probably bringing in somebody athletic uh, in in the middle of the offensive line at some point in the draft with one of their 10 draft picks. And uh, last one here for you, David. I was looking at your article with Matt Barrows where you teamed up and projected what the 49ers roster could look like in 2020. One And one thing that really struck me that stood out, a cornerback is a big one, but uh, there was a number of positions where you had just the name rookie penciled in there on the depth chart and in some prominent spots. And is should 49ers fans prepare themselves for um, maybe somewhat of uh, a step back defensively? And, you know, you've already lost your defensive coordinator in Robert Sala and potentially the 49ers rostering a lot more rookies in 2021 than they have since maybe even the 2017 season when they first took over and gutted the team? Well, it depends on how you gauge step back. If step back from 2019, probably step back from 2020. I don't think so. I think the 2020 defense was overrated in my opinion for the 49ers and I'll, I'll say why. Everybody keeps on saying that they were top five defense, which is true, but the difference between a the, the number one and the number five defense is just about as big as the difference between the number five and the number 26 defense in the league. If you're not the very cream of the crop elite defense in the NFL, which this year the, the Rams were there at the very top, the Steelers were really good. If you're down to number five or number six, you're going to see a lot of games like the Buffalo game, um, you know, especially in the modern league, um, you know, just got torched in both of those games. So, you know, everybody kept on saying, oh, 49ers defense, they're, they're still a top five unit. And yeah, I mean, they did cobble it together nicely. They they should have made the playoffs. Uh, they just had terrible backup quarterback play, so they didn't make the playoffs. But um, the, the defense did drastically fall from from 2019. And, and I think that needs to be emphasized every time somebody says oh, the 49ers were a top five defense in 2020. That, that There's a huge asterisk in my mind that comes with that. So, uh, I don't think that we're going to see a regression from 2020. I think they're going to improve from where they were in 2020. The question is how close can they return to the 2019 defense, which was historically good for uh, a large part of that season before they started suffering those injuries up front. And um, it, it really depends on 
that rookie class with those 10 draft picks because you can't just go out and buy players. You don't have enough money to, to do that if you're the 49ers and you do prioritize a guy like Trent Williams on the offensive end. That means that you're going to have to draft an edge rusher. I like the kid from Georgia. Is he's Ojolari? Am mm-hmm. I pronouncing his name right? Yeah. yeah. I, I think they need a speed rusher. I really – A, the speed rusher, a guy that's under 250 pounds is going to come cheaper than a Bosa prototype, and that doesn't even exist in this draft. There are no Chase Young. There are no Bosas at 260, 270 that could play everything. You're going to need a guy who's athletic, who can beat one-on-ones opposite Bosa and can constrict the pocket. I think, I think the, the kid from Georgia um, is somebody the 49ers can find in a later first round. Um, I, I also think that if they figure out the pass rush that, and they make one key re-signing in the secondary, maybe Kwan Williams, that, that secondary can fall into place. I really do. I know there's a huge debate about this. People will scream at me all day saying that the analytics say that they be, should be forced to, um, focusing on coverage ahead of, uh, of rush. And we saw the 2019 season. My eyes didn't lie to me. Richard Sherman didn't lie to me when he said that the rush is creating this for the 49ers. Richard Sherman would be the first guy to credit, you know, the secondary if that's where the credit actually should have gone, right? But he, we had this conversation multiple times. It was the pass rush that unlocked everything for the 49ers in 2019. And I think that they could get closer to, to replicating what they had in 2019 if Bosa is back, if Kinlaw takes the next step, and if you do hit that draft pick for the other edge guy correctly. Um, and that's the formula for the 49ers. We'll see how close they come to executing it. But if uh, you know they do a good job, I think that they can approach 2019 levels. I don't think they're going to get quite back there, but you want to get as close as possible, right? And that sets the table for the whole team. Fantastic stuff. That is David Lombardi of The Athletic. You can find him on Twitter, at Lombardi himself, and all of his work, of course, at theathletic.com. David, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me, and uh, let's do it again sometime soon. All right, yeah, thanks, Brian. Yeah, aside from the quarterback thing, that's going to be a really fun debate for 49ers fans going into the draft at pick 12. Do you go cornerback? Do you keep a strength a strength? and let the the defensive line be the thing that drives that defense and let the entire roster orbit around there and, and potentially have the opportunity to draft the best, your favorite edge rusher in this class at 12? Will the 49ers move around on draft day? I think that's a guarantee, seeing that John Lynch didn't keep a single one of his draft picks in the 2020 draft. And if you want to hear what I did for the 49ers at pick 12, a little spoiler here, the 49ers did not pick at 12 in my mock draft because I just have a feeling that's not the way it's going to go. Check out today's Peacock and Williamson podcast for the Peacock Mock 1.0. And I'll be back right here tomorrow with all the latest going on with the 49ers and some of your questions. Hit me up at BD Peacock, and I'll talk to you then right here, Locked On 49ers.